I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you hadn't seen Bam Bam Bigelow, where, where would Jonathan Gresham have headed? I'd probably be in prison, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. You can argue that Ring of Honor wasn't Ring of Honor until they had the pure championship. Until they had pure wrestlers. And those wrestlers would go on to become the identity, the essence, and the foundation of Ring of Honor. But it wasn't until Ring of Honor decided that the pure wrestler had ran his course, that our wings were clipped and we were shunned. That was no accident. They used one of our absolute best to try to end us. It was a calculated plan to usher in a new way, the current way of never-ending lawlessness. So if you will, just take a second and try to visualize, try to remember August 12th, 2006, when it all ended. It wasn't a pinfall. It wasn't a submission. That night, a statement was made by a series of elbows. My kind, our kind, was beaten into obscurity by the very man who inspired an entire generation of pure wrestlers. And to add insult to injury, our rules were dissolved, our division was unified with a corrupt one, and it still claimed honor. Our predecessors, they moved on and ultimately abandoned the unwritten rule of teaching the next generation, our generation. So instead, we traveled from country to country and we taught ourselves. And in doing so, we not only became some of the best pure professional wrestlers in the world, we became more. We became undeniable. We became the foundation. And now our time has finally come to restore our rules, to reclaim our company, and to reclaim our rightful place at the top of it. So pure wrestlers, no matter where you are, stand up, speak up, and help spread our word that our time is now. Then join me, join the foundation and do your part to restore honor. The Octopus, Jonathan Grisham! 
Jonathan Gresham, how are you doing? I'm great. Just got up from a nap. I was sleeping with the bus. And, uh, how many? How many are there? Yeah, three. Uh, it's Barry, uh, Bernie, and Bert. And I got two cats, Buddy and Bill. They also sleep with us too. That's a busy house. Do you know whether you? Now, obviously, they might be in the room, so you might not want to offend them. But would you say you're more of a cat person or a dog person? Uh, I, I'm both, actually. I like both. Um, I just like animals in general, really. Which, which would you say? Um, do you have a favorite out of the, the 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 gang that you've got? Somebody that you're especially close with? Um, probably Bernie and Billy. Recently, um, Billy, uh got lost he got outside and he was probably missing for two weeks but we knew that he would come home uh at night so we left like a k-litter box and, uh, like cat food outside and we eventually put like a camera outside to see and one night i was here by myself i think uh jordan was out of the town or something and uh the motion camera came on and billy was outside and i was asleep upstairs trish called me and was like oh he's outside so i ran downstairs only had my underwear on um so a really ugly view of like my backside <laughs> but anyway i ran downstairs and got billy and since then billy and i have been a lot closer i feel like uh he thinks i saved him probably so he like cuddles me all the time it's, it's awesome so i think he sees that you're willing to go out there in your underpants to to rescue him so therefore there's going to be a bond forever isn't there oh hi friends Oh, they look, they look, they look very cozy. It's incredibly cozy. That's that's cool. That's cool. I'm a bit of a cat person here. That's their couch. Oh, that's theirs. Nobody else can have that one. That's that. That's theirs. What happens if a guest was to sit on that couch? Would they get scratched to pieces, or would they just get a death stare for many hours? Probably a death stare. Yeah. yeah. They're Definitely good. from Buddy. He's not a people person. Buddy is not a people person. <laughs> I don't even think he likes me. He's my cat. I got him. I brought him to the house. So. He was a rescue, actually. So, Where did you rescue him from? We'll get to wrestling in a bit, I promise, Jonathan. But <laughs> I want to talk cats first. We were living in uh, York, Pennsylvania, and um, it was actually a lady on Facebook just uh, saying that she was going to give these cats away, and she had had them for a while. So I think eventually, um, if she takes them to the um, the pound at that time, like they would end up putting them down because it was just nobody trying to get them. So I went and got Buddy and... Um, I had two of them actually. I gave one to my friend that lived in New York, but I was going to have two cats for myself. We always encourage people that if you if you're going to get a cat, get a rescue cat. Like give them another an, another chance at everything. Like ours is a rescue cat. He was just found wandering around a nearby college, and we're just like, well, we'll have him. If nobody else wants this guy. We're going to take him. Um, but so anyway, cats aside, uh, we are here to talk about a number of uh, big things happening in the world of Jonathan Gresham. But we also want to go back a little bit and talk about three wrestling matches that that stand out to you, Jonathan. Three matches that metaf- that you would watch on a metaphorical desert island that, that would keep you amused whilst you are there. Uh, what would you like your first one to be? If I was on a desert island, I'd probably be freaking out and not have time for this. <laughs> But, but say you're there, like, oh, say you're there, and like you go, okay, well, someone may come to rescue me in about, I don't know, a couple of weeks. I, I've got a nice view. I've got nowhere else to be. But hey, I just happened to have packed these three wrestling matches that I can watch okay. while I'm here. Bro- it's and, it's and a good to brought your mind with. Charged, right? Absolutely. Okay. You've got all the tech that you need to definitely watch them. <laughs> okay. I imagine I have my uh, 
portable charger as well to keep things going. Okay, so because my matches are pretty long, so um, I'm not sure which one, but I remember being very fond of the uh, series of matches that Daisuke Sakimoto and uh, uh, Big Ben Walter had Germany. Um, I remember watching on during 16 Karat and just being amazed by the work rate and the um, the psychology of the matches. Um, um, so those, I don't know which I enjoyed all three, so I can't really pick. So I'm going to say those series of matches. That's um, a good series. And then I would probably have to say the Supercard Six Man from Dragon Gate from Ring of Honor um, that completely like changed the course of like how wrestling was like just presented, um, you know, after that time. Uh, then I think that was Doe Fixer versus Blood Generation, actually. So it was like Yoshino, uh, Sima, uh, Dragon Kid, Hargushi, and uh, Rio Saito. There was one more person. Uh, Naruki Doi was on Blood Generations too. So uh, that match was like phenomenal. Um, then the last one would probably be the unification match for the uh, Pure and World Championship, Liverpool, England, I believe. Um, Danielson versus McGuinness. That's a, a strong choice. I mean, well, you know, just to dissect a, a couple of these. So, like, uh, you you mentioned the match from from sixteen cat from Dub X Dub. Like, Big Van Volta was a, a a beast and continues to be so. What was your first experience of? Because because I often when I watch what you do and what you do so bloody well, um, like there is there's there's it feels like there's a love letter there to sort of the the world of sports style and the European wrestling style. Would that be the case, Jonathan? Yeah, I like to think of my style, uh, and we're going to come back around to this like when we talk about terms, but I was influenced by so many things because I'm, I'm really big on <clears throat> if everybody's going left, I'm going to go right just for the hell of it and try to figure out things on my, on my own. Um, stylistically, I see so many people doing some of the same maneuvers, some of the same uh, you know sequences um, using this one uh, psychology that was taught and it got really popular and everybody wants to use it. And so it's just like, well, I need to stand out. So I always go the opposite direction, try to figure out like what I like about wrestling. I try not to do what I feel people want to see. I try to do what I feel like brought me to pro wrestling, keeps me interested, keeps me motivated to be a pro wrestler. Um, so that's the way I view it. So it's, it's yeah, it's a love letter to, to world of sport, but also uh, a lot of my style derives from, uh, like uh, uh, King's Road, the All Japan style, uh, the storytelling aspect of it, not necessarily the big strikes and stuff. And then, of course, the strong style. Um, so, yeah, it's just like so many things just like kind of squashed together to create my style. So, when it, when you, but we talk about like, you know, you, the style of wrestling that, that you fell in love with and, and, and continue to practice, but it, it was somebody who wasn't so much doing that kind of style that, that sucked you in in the first place. I've heard you say on a few occasions that Bam Bam Bigelow was sort of your first guy in wrestling. And you said you're not quite sure why it was him, but have you thought any more about why it might have been Bigelow that did it for you? Um, I think it's because, uh, you know, when you see someone of that size that was like just beating people's ass, but also he was able to like do things that he shouldn't have been able to do, or he looks like he shouldn't have been able to do, like the, the flips and different things of that nature. So it was just like, and he was, I think he was doing cartwheels at the time too. Oh so yeah, cool. he was one to bust out a cartwheel. 
Yeah, yeah. So it was just like, wow, I was really taken aback by it. I'd never seen that before. Um, and at the time, I think it was relatively like new. Not a lot of computer guys were doing things like that. So I think that's what kind of stuck out to me. And maybe it was also the big tattoo on the back of his head um, that kind of, you know, resonated with me for some reason. He was just a badass. But that's what, like, made me keep watching. I just fell in love with the whole spectacle of wrestling. And then I just kept watching. It wasn't until um, I found my wrestling school and then I found Ring of Honor in 2004 that I just became completely obsessed with wrestling. Um, and, of course, Ring of Honor changed so. You live and breathe it now, but what would it have been had it not been wrestling? If you hadn't seen Bam Bam Bigelow, where where would Jonathan Gresham have headed? I'd probably be in prison, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Why why'd you say that? Um, before uh wrestling entered my life, I'd, I was already a wrestling fan, but I hadn't become obsessed with it yet. Um, I was on a really bad road. I was uh I got put out all elementary schools in my county. And then my mom moved me to the next county where she was using um, family members' addresses to get me in the schools. And I kept getting put out. I was fighting students. I was fighting teachers. I wasn't going to class. I was just acting a fool. And, um, you know, uh, I got to the point where my mom told me, look, I don't know what else to do. I have to send you to prep school now, which you had to pay for out of pocket. And she said, this is your last stop. I don't know what else to do. Uh, after this, if this doesn't work out, you're going to have to go to juvenile, which is, you know, basically kids prison, kids jail. So um, I went to preparatory school and literally on my first day, I got in a fist fight with the principal. <laughs> and uh, unbeknownst to me, he was an amateur wrestling coach. And so he was, re- I'm, I was trying to fight him and he like jacked me up, put me on the wall. And I remember to this day, he said to me, you have spirit. You should join my wrestling team. I automatically thought, oh, this is my chance to, become a wrestler so i thought that like every other sport you had to start with the minors and stuff and then you get to the pros later uh i had convinced myself that they would introduce the ropes and all that stuff later i just had to learn the basics now so i never told anybody around um what 15 14 15 i figured out that you had to go to a wrestling school so um that's when i ended up finding wwa4 where mr hughes was a trainer and uh you know, A.R. Fox ended up coming, Black Baron. Um, Heath Miller was there. He was actually my first match ever. Um, and several other guys, you know, Apollo Crews, different guys just, you know, were, they just gravitated towards the school later on. And um, that's where I started my career with WWE before. What do you, um, to dip back to it very quickly, what do you attribute to that, so that, that rebel spirit that you had that bounced you from school to school? Man, I don't know. It, it could have been a number of things. Um, I grew up in a single parent home and my mom was trying to raise a boy and she'd never done it before. Um, I don't know, possibly I was angry about a lot of stuff, like my dad not being around at the time, other kids having their fathers around. I don't know. I, I don't want to say that. Maybe I'm just a bad egg. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe that was it. Um, and I just, you know, uh, mellowed out later on in life. You know, after I saw that one, I, I, I firmly believe anybody that's on a bad road, if you put something in front of them that they're completely obsessed with, that will keep them distracted for a lifetime. And yours is wrestling. Yeah, like I did, I found it and I fell in love with it and I'm obsessed with it even to this day. Like I think about it all the time, every day. Um, so, yeah. 
but that but that's um and that and that is that shows in the work that you do so when you discovered like the when you found your way into into a wrestling school it's always interesting to find out when you walked into that first day of training and you as you again you're on the quiet you've been a wrestling fan you've you've seen it at this point and you think i want to try it in that time before walking in and walking out for the first time um what surprised you about it really quickly uh, the first time I saw a professional wrestling ring was when I was told it was right like a week or two before I actually found my wrestling school. I found I figured out a way to track. I actually my mom did it. She tracked down this guy who used to wrestle back in the NWA. He has a car dealership not too far from where my mom lives. We had went to go meet him, and that particular day he was holding a show in the parking lot of his um, car dealership. And that was the first time I saw a ring, and I was mesmerized. I actually think. Heath Miller was wrestling on that show. I knew I'll, in between matches, I walked up to the ring, touched it, and I grabbed the ropes, and I just, I, I was obsessed. I was just mesmerized by the ring. So when I finally went to the wrestling school, I was already in the mindset of, like, learning as much as possible. Uh, I just wanted to be the best I could be, and I was obsessed with it. So every day, I was, like, under my trainer, he was just, like, he would shift groups in and out, but I would always just stay in the ring. If he didn't want me in the ring, I'd be like right there next to him, asking him questions about stuff. He had a thick folder of like all these things that he would go over with us. And after he would finish, he would put it down. He'd be talking to the boys. I'd just sit there and be reading it, reading it, reading it, and just like flipping through reading stuff that I haven't even learned yet. And I familiarized myself with it, watching other videos back home. So I don't know, man. It was just, I was on a mission to become a wrestler. It was just, I was, I got out of trouble. I never got in any more trouble after that. Um, yeah, I was never got any more fights or anything. So what what sort of stuff was in in Mr. Hughes's big folder? Like what sort of thing was in there? You know what? Going back and watching Mr. Hughes uh, wrestle, maybe he learned all this stuff. But a part of me feels like he just watched a bunch of Bret Hart matches and just wrote all the spots, <laughs> all those things. Because I go back and watch like Bret Hart. I was watching Roddy Piper versus. Uh, Bret Hart, I forget what show it was, but for an Intercontinental title, it was when uh, Piper dropped it to uh, Bret Hart. And WrestleMania yeah. 8, I think that was. Okay, yeah. yes. okay. so um, that match, everything that Bret Hart did is stuff that Hughes taught us. And I was just like, wait a minute. Like, I mean, spot for spot. Like, he would make us, like, go over this. He was like, this is psychology. This is, this is like, how wrestling is supposed to be presented. And uh, he would run us through those drills, and then I would understand why we were doing certain things. So it was almost like he gave us the playbook of a great wrestler. And because of that, learning at such an early age, myself and others that care were able to, were able to build on top of that, and, like evolve the psychology that Bret Hart was using. I don't know if Hughes did that. I never like called him out on it, but I feel like he did. Because I don't I think, remember him. Mm-hmm. He did like a lot of heel stuff that was – kind of in the same line but he never did those those spots that he taught us so i think fans of mr hughes i'm like he was never the most complicated of wrestlers to watch as a fan um mm-hmm. but it was all down to very ba- very very simple very basic motion to, to capture emotion uh but then sure. again like if you're teaching wrestling i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna put notes from anybody in a book you're gonna put bret hart in there aren't you, <laughs> you know? I, i'm not complaining I'm no not at all yeah, like, it's just, it's funny to, like, in time, 
see it and just notice it and go, oh, wow. So I was learning just Bret Hart stuff the entire time, you know? Um, so it was just cool. That was super cool. Do you still um, wish you had access to the to, to the big the Mr. Hughes folder of excellence of execution? I probably could because um, he still trains people from time to time. Um, so I probably could get I, I've seen him walking around with this this uh, manila folder that's like falling apart with notes on the outside of it and stuff. So I'm pretty sure that's it. So we go from, from being trained by Mr. Hughes and we go to, um, I mean, you, you fell in love with ring of honor quite early on. I know that you were, you attended your first ring of honor show and the vibe was just like, I need to be a part of this. Like, what was it for you that really clicked with ring of honor when you watched it for the first time? Um, Unlike WWE and WCW that I was watching mostly at the time, and I was also watching um, uh, like overseas stuff from Mexico and Japan and stuff, Puerto Rico, WWC, Carlos Colon was pretty much all the stuff I saw. But um, none, none of that stuff really resonated with me to the point where it was like, I want to go there. I watched WCW and WWE because that was all I could watch for free regularly. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, um, but it really didn't hit me. And I didn't have a destination in mind until I saw Ring of Honor. And I think it's because the guys were younger. They looked a little bit more like me. And I felt like the arenas that they were wrestling in at the time, maybe I could go down the street, you know, and watch that show at the local YMCA. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, I could do that. I could be there as a fan. I could be there as a wrestler. Um, all I got to do is work for it and do it. And so I told myself that I'm going to wrestle for Ring of Honor at an early age. So everything I did, the travels, the training under different people around the world was all like in preparation for me to get to Ring of Honor, pretty much. I didn't see a Ring of Honor show until 2011 when I did Top Prospects Tournament for uh, Ring of Honor, actually. So, so how, did, how did you come to be involved with, with Top Prospect then? What's the process of, 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 of getting through that door? So... I'm going to try to make this story a little short. So um, I was wrestling regularly on uh, the school shows, WBA4. And, uh, and and at this point, AR Fox and I had like this feud over the school's heavyweight championship. So we were wrestling like these 30-minute matches all the time. We kept making our matches longer and longer. It was annoying the hell out of Hughes because he wanted like short matches. But we didn't care. He'd be like behind the camera doing this and we wrap it up <laughs> uh, we're like 15 minutes and we're like hey man we got another 15 minutes to go you know he's just like, whatever so um air fox and i was just like we kept doing these long matches and all of a sudden uh at the time it was the uh change of uh, uh ownership from zandig to dj hyde and i think at the time smart mark video was like somehow helping with booking um like mike burns and his team and uh, this dude reached out to me named Adam Blash, who I'm still really cool with today. And uh, he got me and AR Fox our first booking at CZW. Um, actually, I didn't get a chance to make the first booking because my flight got canceled uh, because of the weather conditions at the time. But Fox made it. Anyway, um, long story short, after I did CZW for a little while, Adam Lash said, hey, man, do you want to do Chikara? And I was like, of course, let's do it. My first match with Chikara was against um, Delirious. Pinky Sanchez, and then one more person that was on that team. I forget who it was. And then it was myself and the Assyrian Portal. And I got a chance to work with Hunter there, um, who, just, who was delirious to book her a brand of honor. Um, and so after that, we kind of kept in contact. 
And uh, a couple of weeks or months later, he booked me for the top prospect tournament. I did the top prospect tournament and uh, I wrestled Kyle O'Reilly. I thought I did okay, but evidently I wasn't ready at the time. So I kind of felt that they weren't going to bring me back. So I just decided to go off and continue wrestling. And that's when I decided to go and move to, uh, to France. And uh, I lived in Europe for about two years. And that's when I was going back and forth from Germany to England and France and stuff, doing shows all the time. So was it was it a, a permanent sort of booking situation in, in, in France that took you there? Or was it just a, a desire to, to live in, in Europe and, and work around Europe? Well, I wanted to get there because I I didn't have like a game. I didn't know what to do. So I tried to do what I felt like the people that before me did that, you know, um, I always had this idea like uh, Benoit, Blanco, uh, Mysterio, uh, Jericho, when they finally got to WWE, WWE didn't change anything about them. Most guys that end up going to WWE, they always have a different name or something or gimmick or something. But those guys never got changed. And I feel like because the entire world knew who they were, why do we change guys if the entire world already knows? So I tried to model myself after those guys. So I tried to go places that they went. I didn't get to actually do the same promotions, but I got a chance to work in the countries that they went to. And um, I tried to do some of those tours. I got a chance to do the Brian Dixon stuff, the John Fremantle stuff. I got a chance to do uh, uh, Mark Mercer in, uh, in, in France. Uh, so I was like wrestling like regularly a week. And then I had to pick independent, like smart mark shows on the weekends. Um, but uh, France was my, my open door, my way in. Uh, I had a friend that came here for training and, uh, uh, that group of guys hooked me up with promoters over there. And so they were like, yeah, we want you to come over, but can you pay for your own flight? I was dead broke. So I was like, look, man, I'll stay over in, in France for three months. If all of you guys can pitch in for my flight to get over and back home and I'll wrestle for whatever you give me. And, um, that's when I got hooked up with this promotion called Incatch. Um, Mark Mercer, FFCP, he was actually doing like regular, like Brian Dixon shows around France. So I wrestled for him like four days in a row and hop off and then go somewhere else for like the other big um, uh, French shows or whatever. Eventually I ran into the Knight family, Soraya Knight and her daughter. Uh, they did a show over in France and uh, we rolled around together and she's like, oh, you should come over to, to my school, you know, and uh, I can get you booked on Brian Dixon. And that's how it happened. Like, I think the next week I flew over and I crashed with them. They were really nice. Um, and they let me stay at their house. And I got a chance to wrestle for Brian Dixon. And then because of that, I met Zach and Marty and all those guys, uh, Mark Haskins. Actually, my first match was with Rockstar Spud. Uh, and I met uh, Big Dave Mastiff. And I met, you know, Marty and Zach and Haskins. And I remember doing a tag match. It was me and Haskins versus leaders of the new school. And then Zach and I got on a little bit. He invited me to do John Fremantle. It just, it was just a, it just rolled out after that. Everything just started to happen after that. Uh, started to just get more reps with guys that were way better than me at the time, and then I got better because of. It. So that's how like my European stuff kind of started. I mean, the Brian Dixon stuff is 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 so famous over here. Like, I mean, so would that have been as well? Like some of the the camp shows, like the Butlin shows, as well. Would you have done because those are a force of nature unto themselves? And you try and explain those to some of your peers in the states. I imagine, like, it's it's a it's a unique one where it's like holiday camps. You'll do two shows a day, some days maybe three, and they're just the the liveliest crowds to be in front of. It's just boo the the bad guys, cheer the good guys, and the the general consensus is when you come out of that, 
you've got such a stronger foundation that you then build on. And that's what makes them so, so, so appealing to obviously to people like yourself. Was that the experience that, that you had, Jonathan? No, see, for me, I ended up learning over time. So I went into the Dixon shows thinking I had to smash it. Like I'm at fight club pro or something, you know what I mean? Right. But I didn't have to do that. So I went in against rockstar Spud, trying to do all of my stuff. Rockstar was, he was really nice about it. So he let me do whatever. But Dave Mastin, he was like the locker room leader guy. No. So he was not on to me at first at all. And um, I was just, I mean, I, I was new to the, to the scene, so I didn't know what Brian Dixon stuff was. Um, but after a couple of shows, I realized, that, oh, it's different. I don't have to do as much. This is more crowd interaction. And after that, I started to study it, watch a little bit more. And a lot of those little, like, uh, crowd interaction things that they would do at the Brian Dixon shows, I use them now regularly on uh in my in my big matches when I go to Ring of Honor and stuff like that. It's just really fun to learn how Brian Dixon's shows taught me how to interact with the with the audience. You know what I mean? Which you don't really get a chance to figure that out when you are doing like the big smart mark shows because you're more so worried about having a banger and like standing out on the show. Definitely when you're new, you know what I mean? So like the Brian Dixon shows and those John Freemaster shows are great to be on because you get a chance to just go out there. They're not expecting anything super crazy. They're just looking for like good grappling, you know, to be entertained. And you have to realize your demographic is like children's like families. They're not like diehard pro wrestling fans. You know what I mean? so, um, learning your audience, it just helps you with learning your audience too. I've got to ask, because you say, you know, you, you obviously you when you lived in France, you were you were working constantly. You were saying, any bookings you get me, I'll go, I'll do this. But did you get a chance to really like drink in sort of the French lifestyle? And if so, what were some of your favorite parts of, of, of just living and being based in France? Um, being forced to learn the language. Uh, I'm 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 a procrastinator at times, definitely with things that are like hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kind of cool. So uh, learning French, uh, watching television in French and the subtitles are on the bottom, um, like forcing myself to like speak it was like because i had to do a lot of this stuff on my own i had to keep because i lived in la Rochelle, which is in like nantes area which is in like the west so there's not like there is a main airport out there but it's more expensive to fly out of there so i normally would have to leave la Rochelle and then get to nantes and then from nantes take the train all the way to paris to fly out of cdg so i had to go and travel on my own and ask questions i, I had no guy i had to do it on my own so um it was scary for me because it was like about maybe an hour and a half two hours to get there for me um with the with the trains and the changing of the trains and stuff so it went from like local train to like the big train and then i had to get to paris and you know not everybody wants to speak english so um they expect me to know something if i'm there so you know at least try so um yeah i think that's what it was i love the scenery too because out in russell you know we were not too far from a, a beach and the beach was really nice out there um, the people are, are nice in those smaller areas. Um, everything closes down on Sundays, though. Like, nothing's open. <laughs> I firmly <laughs> believe in the idea of stopping on a Sunday in, in, in France and parts of Europe. They really do. <laughs> Dude, like, no, no traffic. Nobody's outside. If you know you're going to be hungry the next day, you better prep the day before. Like, Saturday <laughs> night, prep everything you want. Like, literally, go buy McDonald's and everything. So you're not going to get it on Sunday. Is wild. What's um? What was one of the first uh, phrases that you you mastered in French? Um, un Big Mac sans fromage, s'il vous plaît. Um, what uh, it one, means uh, a big something big, s'il vous plaît, please. Well, uh, it's uh, un Big Mac, one Big Mac oh, menu sans fromage, no cheese. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. That was like the first thing I learned. It was like. That's all I felt like I could eat when I first got there because that was familiar to me. And then afterwards, my my taste buds changed. I was actually able to eat at normal restaurants and stuff. At first, it was only I would literally buy a Big Mac and take the bread off, just put the meat together and eat that because I was doing keto. So, gosh, well there you go. Well then. We move on to um, your, your time in Ring of Honor. Two of the matches that you've picked uh, for your Desert Island uh, are Ring of Honor matches. There's the the Supercard of Honor six-man, uh, which is uh, Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate. I mean, what was it about that match when when you uh, when you first saw it that just really captured your imagination more than others? Like, why that one? Why did that one jump out to you when we talked about it? Uh, it was it was the match. The wrestling was chef's kiss dude but <laughs> it wasn't the match it was the way the fans reacted to the match you pay attention to pre-dragon gate coming in like before like dragon gate came in the fans reacted pretty well because ring of honor was known for the banging on you know the thing but like i had never seen a match where from the beginning to the end people were standing like just 
going ape shit because of the match. I I've seen it progressively get there, but I've never seen from the beginning to the end people standing going ape shit. And to me, uh, I might be wrong, but I feel like that's when the style of the Indies changed is when Gabe brought Dragon Gate to America. If you pay attention to all the guys, uh, stylistically, everything changed. The structure of the match changed. That's when dives and falsies became part of every single match. Um, if you pay attention to the Dragon Gate Young Boys style, where it was like opening spot where they run, and then all of a sudden like a drop kick or something happens, powder outside, dive. That wasn't the structure before 2006 Dragon Gate. But after Dragon Gate came to America, everybody started doing that structure. So to me, it was it was huge. It was big. So that's why I look at it as like, boom, that's when the style changed. And, um, you know, when I noticed that, I was like, oh, so everybody's going this way. Like I said before, I had to go that So It's a very different energy for your other Ring of Honor match, which was the unification match, which you mentioned there. It was uh, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness for the Pure and the ROH title. And for me, it's that image of those two being in the center of the Olympia and Danielson just burying that elbow into McGuinness's shoulder over and over relentlessly. Like that finish aside, like a, a, a showcase of two of the finest, is, is it not? <laughs> oh, it definitely is. Definitely is it. That original Ring of Honor style just resonated with me so much. And I tried to emulate it so much. And I tried to put my own spin on it. But man, it, it just, it changed the way I thought about pro wrestling. Um, and, you know, Danielson and McGinnis inspired an entire generation of like people that feel like they're pure wrestlers. Uh, and that includes me as well. Um, so, yeah, man, that, that's like a very important match. To me. And it's about that uh, you you ended up uh, being the, the recipient of and defending. Now it's back in the circle. I mean, can you recall the the conversation that you had with with ROH when they said not only is the pure championship coming back, but we want you to represent that division? That's not how it went. I have a theory. So okay. um, when I when I did all this fighting to get to Ring of Honor, just relentless, just trying to get there, trying to get there. I got a chance to wrestle uh, Hunter again, one-on-one uh, in uh, Pittsburgh at stage AE. After the match, um, he gave me one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten. And uh, he then said to me, we're going to sign. We're going to give you a contract. I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. So a couple of weeks later, I got my contract and email signed i'm now part of the company um they end up putting me with search and destroy which is alex shelley and like uh chris saban and like some other guys that they were trying to you know put in the stable um and I, at that time i started to look around I'm, I'm like okay all this like traveling i've been doing i haven't noticed that ring of honor has changed it's not the same ring of honor that i fell in love with the style changed back in 2006 and I was so busy with trying to get here that I didn't notice that the style had changed. So it was like, where am I going to fit in the style? Like the style had shifted more towards like, you know, Dragon Gate, but the young bucks had taken that Dragon Gate style and evolved it to something different. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's, that was the identity of Ring of Honor at the time. I thought to myself, where do I fit in? Cause I don't do that stuff. Um, so I said, well, why don't I just try to bring pure wrestling back? So I told myself, I'll be the pure wrestler of the company because nobody else is doing it. That's again, me seeing everybody going right. And then I go left. So, um, uh, and it just fit me anyway. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So anytime I got Hunter's ear or 
Greg, who's the guy that does all the, the big deals, contracts and stuff. I would talk to them about PRS. Hey, we need to do this. We need to bring this back. I did it so much that I think around 2018, they actually let me have a pure title, I mean, a pure wrestling match against Styles Young in Baltimore. Um, but it wasn't until 2019 that uh, I got booked for Super Juniors and I went <clears throat> over to Japan and I was in the locker room with Brody and Marty. And Marty, out of nowhere, because I had no clue what he was about to start doing with Ring of Honor, he came to me and said, hey, man, what do you think Ring of Honor needs to do to differentiate, differentiate themselves from like everybody else? And so, of course, I took that opportunity to just pitch my idea of pure wrestling, the way it should look, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, the conversation ended. I didn't think anything else about it. A couple of weeks later, he hits me up on the phone and goes, hey, man, check out this PowerPoint presentation I'm about to give to uh, upper management. And so I look at it. At this point, I found out with everybody else that Marty has taken over the book. And so he sends me this, this, uh, this file, and I watch it. And it's literally everything that we talked about in Japan about the pure tournament. And I was like, bro, I don't even need credit for it. I don't care. Just get it done because it's going gonna, it's gonna to save Ring of Honor in my, in my mind. And so um, then it got announced and I got announced and everybody was becoming a part of it. I truly don't believe I would have been the one to win the belt if the pandemic didn't happen. The pandemic took away loads of talent that was just – it would have done the company good to have someone like Asia Agata win it. You know, uh, that would have been huge for us. Um, but then when the pandemic hit, things border closed and Ring of Honor was still trying to be relevant at the time. Um, I think I was the only person left that it made sense to put it on. I was also a tag team champion at the time. And I mean, the odds of me getting two belts at one time was like, no, you know what I mean? So um, that's pretty much how it, how it came to be. And I think I was just like the last choice. It was like, well, there's nobody else. He's been believing in this for years since he's been here. So let's just see what he does. I think that was pretty much it. That's how. When you go into something like that, and you've mentioned there, like like Nagata. So was Nagata somebody in the conversation for the Pure Championship then at this point? Nagata and a bunch of other people. Well, yeah. Like I look at, I can't remember the exact lineup, but I remember when Nagata got announced, I was like, whoa, that's huge. Nagata in the Pure Wrestling Tournament. That's awesome. And then, like, a couple of other guys. I know Slex was in it. Mark Haskins was in it. It was just, like, a lot of good wrestlers was in it. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. To be honest, I didn't care about winning it. I was just happy that they were going in the direction of making Ring of Honor unique again. Because, to me, at that point, Ring of Honor had just become, like, every other company. There was no difference between Ring of Honor and Impact, Ring of Honor and WWE, Ring of Honor and any other company. But then when you bring pure wrestling to the forefront, we're completely different now. We have rules, which you pay attention to wrestling now. There are no rules. That's why heels and faces don't really work anymore because there's no rules to break for heels to get heat. If we enforce rules, then there can be heels. But if there's no rules, then nobody cares. If you really pay attention now, some of the boys back don't know what the rules are. Some of the referees don't even know what the rules are anymore. So we have to reinforce rules for there to be a story again, for there to be heels and faces. Again. And to me, Pure wrestling does just that. So, because that was the whole thing um, with ROH at the beginning. Because I remember watching it very early on, and the whole idea was there was this code of honor in place, and there was a handshake, and the simple way to get uh, to, to to get the crowd against you, and you know, and and Xavier uh, rest his soul. Uh, did that by just refusing the handshake, and suddenly, like you say, you've established these rules, 
and all it takes is one person to break them and oh okay that's you've uh, heal made done easily digestible dude. So, but now you have to do so much to be seen as a heel like you have to do all this talking all this stuff but literally for the guys that get on the show that the company they're not investing in yet but their character from the independence is a heel it's kind of difficult for them to get over if the fans don't know who they are they don't get promo time and all that but with the code of honor if we structure it right and everybody follows the rules then the code of honor literally at the beginning of the match lets you know who the good guy and who the bad guy is. It's that simple. It's easily digestible. Everybody gets it. And now we can move on. <laughs> you know? But the but to go back to to as I was gonna say, um, with the the plans changing, with the world changing as it did, and the the as you say, you believe and they went, okay, we're out of options. We gotta give it to Gresham. If like what what's the mentality? for you with that then when that you kind of get the vibe of and, and you kind of said it you said it there uh you got the vibe of i'm being given this because there's nobody else like is that is that something that powers you is that something that changes the way you go at it like where were you in your head when that was happening then? that's just my life in a nutshell nobody has ever looked at me and go when yo this is the guy that we're going to push everything that i've gotten I just kept pushing for every company that I went to. I had to start over again at the bottom. Prime example, 2012, I went to Japan. Um, I rose for zero one. When I went to zero one, I started at the bottom, worked my way up to where the company felt, you know, I was good enough to hold and win the junior title. So they literally had me win. I think I was the first Gaijin to win um, the Tenkaichi Junior Heavyweight Tournament, which is zero one's big junior heavyweight tournament. I, I went against their biggest junior, which is Kuto Edaka, and, uh, you know, uh, I won the tournament against him, and then I went on to win all of their junior titles. So at the time, I was holding four junior championships in Japan, and, uh, you know, I came back to America. Nobody gave a fuck. You know what I mean? I had to start over at the bottom at CZW. I had to start over at the bottom at all these different companies that I went to. So when I went back to CZW, I started over at the bottom of the company. When I went to Ring of Honor, nothing that I had done over my – 10 years of traveling the world, Ring of Honor didn't give a fuck. They started me at the bottom doing dark matches. Um, so I had to work my way up there. So it's that's just, in my mind, how it works. Um, and I never got mad at it because it just always taught me. Uh, I never got uh, an ego or anything. I see a lot of guys that, you know, they become egotistical. But for me, it could never happen because nobody gave a fuck about me ever. So it's just like, I just had to keep starting over over and over again and it humbled me you know so um that's just the way it was so when that happened like i always look at it as you always have to be ready because like things happen people get hurt people jump ship to go to other companies and spots just open up uh the pandemic opened up a bunch of spots and you know it wasn't just for me a bunch of guys got the opportunity to step up like hot sauce tracy williams uh rhett titus um um uh Josh Woods, like so many guys got opportunities to like step their game up when, uh, you know, spots opened up. So like, that's just the nature of the beast. And you just have to realize it and go, I'm going to make the best of this opportunity that was given to me by chance. It's been talked about very openly. Um, coming up is final battle and then ring of honor is going silent for a few months to, 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 as you've said, you know, in previous times to, to find sort of where they are and who they are in the game. Um, now, 
you, you've said in interviews that you realized that what was coming from this meeting about 30 minutes before the meeting started. Uh, what goes through your head as this meeting's beginning to announce like the hiatus of Ring of Honor? Like, where are you, what are you feeling about it? To be honest, to be 100% honest with you, my mind and my heart and my thoughts were with all of the roster guys that don't have pre-existing relationships with independents. Um, you know, I'm really blessed, knock on wood, that my wife was doing really good. Uh, I've managed my money pretty well. Um, and I was making pretty good money with Ring of Honor. Um, so I'm, I'm okay. And like, I can still do independence. Like Ring of Honor goes away for a little while. You know, thank God, you know, I'm doing PWG. Thank God I'm doing GCW. I have pre-existing relationships with WXW. Uh, I've already gotten announced for 16 Carat. So it's just like a lot of guys don't have that. So I was more so concerned about them and, uh, you know, thinking of ways to to try to help the guys that need it. Because some guys were just living off of Ring of Honor and they had never had like um, an independent wrestling career. So them even going into approaching like getting bookings and things of that nature, it's completely different from when I had to do it because wrestling has changed now. Like I used to have to send a weekly email out with fresh matches with my resume to get bookings, you know, but I don't think guys do that anymore. So even when guys come to me for advice, I don't really know what to tell them because the, the industry has changed so much independently since I was just always doing independence. Now I just get people contact me to, you know, do shows. I don't have to reach out. So it's just one of those things, man. So I was really just thinking about them. I remember one of my buddies called me and they were like, man, Gresh, you were so stone faced during the meeting when, when the news broke. And it was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, because I was thinking of all of my friends that now don't have jobs that aren't married to like a woman has like a great career and making a lot of money. So like she can hold down the fort if like things go shit, you know? So um, I was thinking about them really. That's where my mind was. Um, how, what was the vibe like at the final set of tapings for now um, that, that, that have been held? So what's the, what's the sort of temperature going into final battle with everybody? I think a lot of people were going through it, but they weren't showing it. A couple of people came to me and really expressed how they were feeling. Um, you know, uh, it, it was mostly a really, you know, positive experience with everyone. Nobody was like crying except for me. <laughs> um, you know, um, it was, it was fun, man. We all went out to eat afterwards at like one of the local pubs, not too far from the hotel. We just all sat at the table and it was like laughter and everybody was happy. Um, and I think everybody was just, I feel like, because I feel this way, so I kind of want to blanket over everybody else. I think everybody feels like Ring of Honor will return. How that return is going to look, we don't know. Who's going to be a part of it, we don't know. 2011, you made you, you you joined Ring of Honor in the top prospect tournament. We're now 10 years on. It's the final ROH show for a while. And you're headlining and you're challenging for the ROH World Championship. Has, are, you, are you cool with the reality of that? after everything we've talked about today about how you sort of feel like you're having to hard reset every time you go somewhere different. Like, how are you feeling about all that? I'm trying to concentrate on the positives, really. It's kind of like I've surpassed everything I thought I would accomplish. Like, literally, all I wanted to do was wrestle for Ring of Honor. So I want to wrestle for Ring of Honor. When Ring of Honor became a contracted company, I told myself, oh, I want to be contracted. That's, that was my goal. Then I got contracted by Ring of Honor, and then it was just like, 
okay, what next? I had to start creating new goals. So I said, oh, well, I just want to become like, you know, one of the top guys here. I didn't think about titles or anything. I was like, I just want to be relevant and have good matches. And just like, I want to freaking bring pure wrestling back. I want to be known like the pure wrestler guy here. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I can do that. That's what I'm good at. That's what I love. You know, and I've always thought if you want to do something, you have to be passionate about it. So I was super passionate about that. And so when I started to really push the pure stuff, and even in my promos, I wouldn't say technical, I would say pure. I would just keep bringing it up to where, like, I almost, I tell it to the students that I train, um, speak it into existence, man. You got to really believe in what, you, what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, nobody's actually going to feel it. Nobody's going to resonate with it. And I feel people can feel that I really love pure wrestling. I love Ring of Honor. And it's real. It's not, it's not a tagline. It's not a promo. That's real. For, it changed my life. It saved my life. So, you know me wrestling for the Ring of Honor world title is way, way, way more than I expected. I got an opportunity to do it here in Atlanta. And um, I wrestled Jay Lethal, which is ridiculous, in a TV main event. Um, we did a 30-minute Iron Man match. And, uh, you know, it, I have said this in promos, but I actually felt it when I was out there. I had the first pin of the match over Jay Lethal in the match. And for a few moments... I was Ring of Honor World Champion. And, you know, it happened in my hometown when I won, everybody like popped. And my mom, uh, you know, and my family was there watching. And uh, it just felt, I was in my utopia. It was just amazing. And then, you know, the match finished and I wasn't anymore. But what I took away from that was like, yo, I've done it. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do now. And so after that, I was just coasting. Like, I've never spoken to anyone that they did exactly what they wanted to do. And I got a chance to do exactly what I wanted to do. I wrestled for the Ring of Honor world title. I mean, that's like something I want in the back of my mind. I was like, that's never going to happen. But I got a chance to, to, to earn my way in the Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, I was the pure wrestler that I wanted to be. I, I gained that reputation. And uh, then all of a sudden, I got a chance to wrestle for the Ring of Honor world title in a main storyline with the top guy of the company and just like wow so i mean to be doing this now i don't know it's just every night when i talk to my wife i just tell her how much i love my life and i thank her for being with me and i'm just i don't know if i died tomorrow i would not be upset if i if i got hurt and couldn't wrestle more i wouldn't be upset i'd be upset that you know, I can't make money anymore and I can't like, you know, help with everything here, but ultimately I'd be happy with everything I did. Like I got a chance to do everything I wanted to do. That's such a powerful position to come from in, in life to go, you know what? I'm, I'm doing everything I want to do. That's amazing. So we've got to talk about Terminus while we're here. Quote me if I'm wrong. I feel like Terminus has been there a lot longer than about a month in your head. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I thought so, as much. Um, Baron and I have been buddies for over a decade. We started at Day 4 together and we would travel, uh, to shows together and, um, we would experience things that we didn't agree with. Um, and we would always talk either going to shows or coming back from shows, how we would do things. And it was just fun and games at first. And, um, we ended up having more serious talks over the phone, um, you know, over the years. And then, you know, I think around like, 
2012 or 13, we had decided, hey, man, maybe we should run a show one day. But we didn't have no money. We didn't know how to run a show. And so fast forward to now, you know, both of us doing a lot better in life. Um, and, you know, we just started talking about it. And we're like, you know, we need to do this show. And we had planned maybe at the beginning of the year to do it in November, this November. And I was going to be 14. And um, I ended up getting booked on a New Japan show. And I think around the same time, AEW was doing something. So neither of us could really run that show. And some of the people that we had an idea to use were booked on the New Japan show and they were booked on AEW, so they couldn't really come to the show. So we just decided to scrap that and we said, oh, let's put it a little further out in January. And, you know, uh, it just kind of worked out because Ring of Honor dissolved, so I knew they were going to pop up with the show that I had to go to. Um, and then uh, he already has the AEW schedule, so, like, we knew that we were good for that day. And that's how it just kind of started. We just have been talking about it for years, man. Um, we really wanted to spring wrestling back to Georgia. There's always these these companies. They kind of, I don't think they have a, they just want to run shows. They don't want something big to be here. I want their, I want Atlanta to be a destination. Barron feels the same way. We want rest, uh, We want Atlanta to be a destination for like wrestling. And uh, I just feel like the smaller companies, they just wanted to be in their, their, their counties or whatever, just run their own shows. Maybe it's guys just, you know, having fun or whatever, but I want this to be, I want this to be known. I want this to be a destination where fans and wrestlers alike want to come and just experience a really good atmosphere of wrestling. So um, that's, that's what we're doing. Hopefully. <laughs> what's it, what's it, what's it's a way for, obviously you say you want something that's going to be more of a destination. Um, what else is going to be different with it, with a terminus show? I know you've said that you want more guys that overthink the craft. Are we looking at a promotion that is going to be populated by a, a pure wrestling style uh, of, of this beautiful overthinking, or is it going to be a whole a whole lot more than that, John? I like to think it's going to be a whole lot more than that because, like, as much as I love pure wrestling, not everybody is uh, a fan of it the way I am. So I have to be conscious of that. I need to have a product that I can sell to everyone. Um, so in my mind, the same way I think about my wrestling, which I told you before, I took a little bit from every style and kind of squashed it together to create who I am as a professional wrestler. I think the best thing to do is to do the same with, with Terminus. That's why I decided to call it modern age grappling because it's, um, the rule set, uh, stylistically, uh, everything is going to be, um, you know, bits and pieces from all these different styles and psychology and philosophies of wrestling squashed together to create modern age grappling. So, um, you know, if Ring of Honor does dissolve, pure wrestling will have a home in Terminus um, if we continue. <laughs> uh, that's still a question mark for us. We don't really know what's going to happen next. So we just want to get through this first show and see what happens. But um, if we do continue and Ring of Honor does in fact dissolve, pure wrestling will definitely have a home with terminus so i don't want to limit it to just pure wrestling because i want to reach all the fans even this the um the uh casual fan so we're going to be a little bit of everything but um there will be something distinctively different about terminus that will be our identity which will be revealed later there'll no doubt be people who will want to know when the identity is revealed and they want to find out more about it as they go where's the best places that people can go to find out about yourself and to find out about terminus jonathan 
Well, you can definitely check out my Twitter page uh, and then Black Baron's Twitter page. Uh, you can also check out the uh, Terminus Twitter page, which is uh, Terminus Pro, at Terminus Pro. Um, and then just be on the lookout. You know, uh, we're going to have a website very soon. Uh, right now, tickets are on sale at uh, TerminusTickets.com. Um, yeah, those are the places that all the news is going to come from. And, uh, you know, we're talking to people pretty much every week. I think I have an interview in a little bit uh, to talk about Terminus as well. I just talked about it a little bit with you guys just now. We have lots of places to keep across it. And as you say, you've got other interviews to do. So we are going to let you go. I want to end on this one, though. I always like to uh, to to have a little retrospective to end it on. So um, let's go back in time. You see, we see young Jonathan Gresham going into prep school. Last chance to learn from his mum. If you could go back and say something to yourself as you walk through those doors, what would you like to say to them? If you want to win this fight that you're about to have with this principal, you need to hit low first, not high. He's got a strong left arm. He blocks. He saw it coming. So you want to go low. You want to go low. (laughs) Go low, go to his gut. You know what I mean? Because uh, he he caught that right. He caught that right. And then he jacked me up, and it was over. So. This is this is why I love this. This is why you're ace, Jonathan. Because like some people would would normally give the answer. Oh, make sure you you follow your dreams. Be open to this. And you got nah. This is how you take him down, mate. Coming at you. <laughs> you yep, say you're gonna yep, win yep. that one. Just imagine how my life would have been if I would have actually clocked. You could have been ROH champion five years sooner. <laughs> you don't know. 